you food lovers out there. <clears throat> You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And uh, today's program takes us on a global um, journey of starting out in Africa with Pierre Thiem of Yolele, um, which is bringing access to a wonderful new ancient grain, Esphonio. Um, he... He is really enthusiastic about the, the, that product, the company's future, the future of African food. Let's listen to Pierre. There we go. <laughs> it's been like this all day, Pierre TM. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're happy to be talking to you again. Um, and uh, right. yeah, and it's you're moving right along there quickly with expanding your product line and everything. Um, the, I forgot what the name Yolele means. Yolele translates, and that's my translation for something um, that has a, that's really a, a, a celebration. It translates for let the good time rolls. And why is Yolele? Because it's a, it's a Fulani word, a language that's uh, part of an ethnic group, which is my family actually, I'm part Fulani. And the Fulani is, are the largest nomadic group in the world. Really? Than the gypsies. Yeah, they're bigger than the gypsies, and they've been crossing Africa from north to south, east to west, for thousands of years. So I, wow. I, I like that. Yeah, I like that transcending border aspects because this is what uh, my company Yolele is about. We're transcending borders and bringing the food culture of Africa to the global table. Huh. That sounds wonderful. Um, you yourself are a chef, right? That's correct. And um, now, uh, how do nomads, nomads deal with this phonio, the ancient grain? Do they carry it with them? Yes, and uh, the particularity of phonio is uh, it's one of the fastest maturing grains. It grows oh, in two good. months. It, it grows in two months. It grows in poor soil. It regenerates the soil. They, they have a saying for the fonio. It's called the lazy farmer's crops. Because uh, the, the nomad people, they are, they are really herders. They, and that's why they travel from north to south. They're looking for pasture. And when the, they follow the rain, they follow the, the grass. And, uh, and when it's dry, they move. So they stay in places for just a short period of time, for like a few months. And at yeah. that time, it's just enough time to, to grow a crop like fonio. So Fulani Wonderful. people, uh, uh, yeah, they're like, they're, they're fonio eaters. They're fonio consumers. They're the biggest one, actually. Well, it's, it's actually probably the most versatile grain I've ever encountered. It's easy to cook. doesn't take very long. It's easy to grow, you say. And it's, mm-hmm. it's versatile. When we first talked to you, we talked only about fonio itself, the um the grain, which is mm-hmm. an ancient grain. Um, the the back, oldest cultivated grain in Africa. The, the oldest, okay. Um, and you, you say it's similar to rice or couscous, but I, I find it much more satisfying. It's um, nuttier. Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you 100%. And unlike and couscous, it's gluten-free. Couscous is actually a pasta made out of, um, of wheat, so it's similar to couscous in a sense that it's a tiny-looking grain, the same appearance, 
But if the whole grain couscous is not the, it's not the case for couscous, and it's much more nutritious, and like you said, it is so much more tasty. Um, it's like it's very delicate, and it's easy to digest, easy to cook, easy to digest, not heavy. Well, you know, I mean, you're producing a product, but you're producing a lot more than that. You're you're um, you're reintroducing an, an almost lost grain, uh, and you're increasing the um, cultivation of it. Um, and of course, you're, you're getting the nutrition out of it. Um, it you you're Breaking up the monoculture of, of all this old wheat stuff, too. Um, as I said, you, you only had the grain, but um, and we like that. But you've now expanded your line, so you have chips, which are really um, OCD. I keep <laughs> keep a bag on there, and I've gone through most of it. Uh, you make a pilaf. Um, mm-hmm. it, you can you. It, it's easy to cook. It's wholesome. Um, where all can you go with all this? Tell us about some of your what you're aiming for. Well, my aim is really to to disrupt the food system, you know, and integrate yes. crops like fonio. You know, these crops are, are, are amazing. They they're resilient. They're great for us. And and not integrating them in our food system is uh, I think is foolish. And that's what's been happening for for hundreds of years, for fifty hundred yeah. years. You know, our food system has been limited to four grains. You know, like rice and and, and wheat and and corn and, and soy. This is what our food system has been imposing exactly. upon us. And, and we and we're ignoring amazing crops like fonio and 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 many others. And this is what we're trying to do. My goal is to really just change this this uh, this situation, really, and 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 work with small farmers, and and not only save biodiversity by doing so, because those crops, when we don't consume them, when there's no market for them, they disappear. But in addition to that, you know, what's important is for our own health and the health of our planet. You know, right. our health. We need we need to diversify our diet. You know, many of the diseases that you see that we have these the, the chronic diseases are directly related to the lack of diversity in our diet or the way we feed ourselves. You know, the way we source our products. You know, now now in addition to that, now we're realizing that this whole conversation on climate change, the big part of it is due to the way we produce our food. You know, we 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 don't integrate crops like fonio that are drought resistant. You know, we have a water issue. You know, our irrigation system is oh. depleting our water. In addition to that, we we put like uh, things like chemicals and 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 pesticides and 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 and, and all kinds of chemical entrants to 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 bring more of those limited number of crops, and that not only affecting the product and that's affecting the soil and, and now we, we find ourselves in, in, in the need to, to make more of those and we're depleting, we're killing forests and so it's now it's important to take a look at all that and stop and start rethinking and how we're feeding ourselves. There are crops that don't de- re- require so much water, that don't require any pesticides or chemicals and those crops are like, you know, they're resilient. Fonio is one of them. Fonio, like I said, grows in poor soil. It grows in an area 
called the Sahel, which is south of the Sahara. Nothing grows mm-hmm. there, but Fonio can thrive in that area. But even more than thrive, it regenerates that soil because the cultivation of Fonio adds nutrients to the soil. So it restores that soil. It mitigates the advance of the desert. It's really a way to, to really combat the, the climate change and restore the soil. So there's so much we have to gain from integrating those crops. And if you look at what's happening right now with this crisis around the world, the pandemic, the oh, Ukraine yeah. crisis, and the Ukraine crisis, it's all confirming it, like the wheat in the Ukraine. And Ukraine and, and Russia have one-third of the wheat supply. So now there's a crisis there, and the world is suffering from it. There is more hunger because the wheat is not arriving to places like Africa that have now depending on it. It's time that we really put a way to figure out a way to integrate crops like Fonio. And then we won't be depending on four crops. We will have more crops to, 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 to rely upon when there's a crisis, because there will be more crisis. We, something we cannot control. Oh, yeah, there'll be plenty of it. But, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're not the only one thinking along these lines. I mean, we interviewed the people who wrote that book called What Your Food Ate, that talks about the, the mm. monocultures and depletion. They're in California. No, they're no, they're in Oregon. I just wonder if you knew them. It's a good book. Read what your food ate. Oh, um, I'd, I'd love to read it. Yeah, it, it's yeah, great. Read that. that. Talk about that. And but you know, and we talk to all kinds of uh, people who are doing a regenerative agriculture and all that, but nothing in, in the overall model ever seems to change. I mean, what what do we do? What do we do? In my country, there's a saying, is when you are lost on your way, you have to stop and return where you came from. And that's oh, the case with this future. Oh, yes. And, and we are lost. We, we're confused. You know, this, this, this uh, so-called green revolution has taken us to a path where we are completely lost. Monoculture took us there. So now we need yeah. to return to the traditional way of growing food, which is the rotation, which is actually putting the, the people who know about food in charge, taking the soil as, as a center. You know, the, the food is produced, it's coming from the soil. We have to respect the soil. Food is coming, the fish is coming from the ocean. We have to respect the ocean. We have to respect the season. Yeah. And we have to grow the food in rotation. That's, there's, a, there's a science behind it. It's not just because those exactly. small farmers were doing it. There's a science, and they were doing it. There's a time for grains to grow. There's a time for beans to grow. And all of that is because that uh, the soil is being the restored. The, so, the soil is yeah, getting well, nitrogen the- from the the authors of that book I just referenced to you, um, they say that until you, we're not, not get anywhere until we get back to live soil, and then they define live soil. And, and you know, and all of this comes together when you're talking about um, the earth itself and soil. Um, and I love that word, live soil, because we have to also think of the soil as not just, you know, we have an unfortunate word for it. We call it dirt. Dirt. And it's, it's, <laughs> it, 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 and it's unfortunate, you know, and that tells you where we, our state of mind is. And the soil 
is as much a part of our whole uh, uh, universe, our whole system, as 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 everybody. You know, we need to 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 rethink it and 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 approach it with respect. You know, and 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 that just changes everything. And 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 it's not dirt actually. It is this soil that nurtures us, and food has to come back to that place where it is. Food is like nurturing communities. It's healing. It, it, it's it's more than just an ingredient. It's definitely not just a product. It's 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 what it's the stuff of life. It's it's something that we we it, it, we we cannot do without it. So let's give it its respect, you know, and, and treat it rightfully. And especially the way we source it, you know, we need we need to source our food so that everything in our life is coherent, and we have a, we, we can have a, a, a healed uh, um, system, and, and especially our our our, 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 our um, climate, it can be restored oh, yeah. this way. Yeah. You think we still have time with this climate thing? It's getting pretty awful. It's getting pretty awful, and it's going to get even worse. We're going to be 10 billion people in a few years. 10 billion people that if we don't figure out a way to feed our planet, if we keep feeding ourselves the way we're doing it, it's not sustainable at all. And and, 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 and limiting birth is not an option. It's not a solution. You know, it's like, how, how are you going to do it? There will be 10 billion people the rate this planet is going. There are places in the world that have a, a big number of births. Africa, Africa is going to be 1 billion people in, 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 in a decade. Yeah. So how do you do that? Unless you drop a bomb, you know, unless there's a catastrophe. <laughs> and, and even that is not the solution. The solution is to figure out a way to integrate those underutilized crops. There are thousands of them. Why are we just using four? There are thousands of them that are much more nutrient, nutritious, much better for, for the planet, and we need to integrate them. If we don't do it with a sense of urgency, we are in trouble. You know how many crops have disappeared from the, oh, well, the planet? Tell me, give me a number. In the past, in the past fifty years, sixty percent. I'm not talking about number. I'm talking about percentage. Just to give you an idea, sixty percent of our of our biodiversity has disappeared, gone, not to come back, gone completely. And this rate is going to accelerate. It goes faster and faster. The, the more stubborn we stay, the more the, the we allow people who have no business deciding what the food system should be about because they are not food people. They are just big corporate uh, leaders who only mostly care about the, the, the bottom line and their, their shareholders' bottom line. And they have to rethink what profit is. What profit is should include the small farmers, should include the soil, should include the consumers. The consumers are not even taken into consideration because the consumers are, are, are suffering from, from their products. There's like, you know, all kinds of chronic diseases, like I mentioned, that are a consequence of these this, this bad choices that our big food, unfortunately, is making. But we need to figure out how to work with big food so that big food can integrate those crops so that big food can be, be about food, really, not about just profit. And big food 
can accelerate and say and save actually change the situation and and the conversation is taking place now we having we see big food corporations are talking about needing their sustainable development goals but they still haven't figured out how you know and they sometimes too big to be agile enough to to do it in a in a, in a, in, a, in a fast urgent way so they, they that needs to be a conversation where you know everyone is being involved not only in their own silos those corporate heads of of corporations you know it's like that's not up to them that's up to all of us you know and it starts with like i said the the, the food people the small farmers should be talking you know the, the the those people who understand researchers should be in, involved in, in doing research on underutilized crops don't underutilize crops like ponyo uh, they hold the key they are the solution to our food security to the global food security that they are the solution now you you have um, you've contributed greatly to the um, uh, economic uh, um, sustainability of the small farmers in um, in Western Africa. Uh, they grow mm-hmm. them, you, and you have a, um, a phonio processing facility in Mali. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and by making new products for your line, like the chips and the pilaf and the spice rubs, um, mm-hmm. you're creating more demand more market um, mm-hmm. to expand. And you are expanding. Um, I read that you are now, you, you have online uh, ordering from people, but um, you're in more than 2,000 retail stores in the United States even, including Whole mm-hmm. Foods and Target, which is big time. And um, so yeah. you were at the fancy food show, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, how did people react to Fodio? And your other products? Oh, they're loving it. The reaction is is, is so is it's fantastic. I mean, Whole Whole Foods have been our early supporters. We started with one store in Whole Foods five years ago. Today, we are in all the Whole Foods in America, and and Target is taking us now. And and there's more and more stop and shop is now. And and people are loving it. And and it started with one grain. And today, like you said, we have like five different pilafs, and now we have four different chips flavors. Because, you know, the goal really was to be a, a, a voice for African food, you know, because there was a big voice. There was no food brand that represented it. So I wanted Yolele to be that brand. And in doing so, I wanted it to be a brand that makes it accessible. So that's why the chips, though, that's why the snacks, we're entering the snack category for people some people who are not like you, you go and you go ahead, went ahead and started cooking fonio, but some people are still intimidated and wouldn't go and cook a grain that they don't know, you know, especially when it comes from a part of the world that they don't know anything about. Yet it's a grain that cooks in five minutes. It's really easy to cook. It's good for you. It's healthy. It's a nutrition powerhouse. But now we come up with the chips. It's so much easier, so much more accessible. Everyone loves the snack. And, and that's why, that's why we, you know, we have such a great uh, reception. And, 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 and that's, that's really opening a market for these small farmers in Africa who had no access to market. They've been, they know how to grow these crops. But they've been doing it just for their subsistence, and they they are among the poorest regions in the world. And now, you know, we're showing the model of development what we're doing with Yolele because we're opening markets for their products, creating brands which makes it like 
more attractive and desirable at the supermarket shelves, and that's why our products are, are, are moving. You know, we 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 were lucky early enough to 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 partner with a brand uh, company called Pentagram, and and we had like a, a top-notch designer, Paula Cher. She's like a, a, a world-class designer, and she did that. She designed our brand to make us really look. Uh, you know, uh, pop out of the shelves in the supermarket, and that made the difference. You know, we we treated oh yeah, it as, the packaging yeah. is wonderful. Not to mention that it stands out. Yeah, it, 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 just, it, it looks lively. It looks healthy. It looks yeah. It, it looks exciting. Yeah, it's very yeah. good packaging. Thank you. So all Thank of you. that contributes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yes. well, you you you're, you're creating this market for ongoing products. I mean. And what what do you look for further down the line? Is it always going to be um, geographically in um, Western Africa or what? No, no, absolutely not. Uh, and as you can see in the packaging, you see that map of Africa and you see a, a, a color delineating the region where our product is coming from. And uh-huh. as we grow, you know, we, we, we always thought Fonio, is our Trojan horse, but we always thought of representing an African food culture, an African ingredient. So and there are so many more, and we 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 just began with Fonio because, like I said, the oldest cultivating crop is drought resistant. It cooks in five minutes. It's gluten free. So it was checking all the boxes, and we thought, you know, this is the path, you know, to just turn it. Fonio it will be the next quinoa. But there are other crops, and we just also don't want to fall into the trap of just becoming the Fonio company and then those farmers will only grow Fonio and defeat the purpose. It will be now the monoculture of Fonio and that's not what we want. We want to support all the crops that are grown in rotation with Fonio. So our next ingredient we're looking at, and as you see, we already have all the other products into our, our pilaf. We have the spices coming up, but we're also looking at other ingredients that are grown in rotation with Fonio. And one of them is really interesting. I think you're going to like it. It's called Bambara groundnut. And Bambara groundnut is like a, a, a bean that looks like peanuts. It tastes like peanuts, but it doesn't have the allergens of peanuts. And it's been yeah. growing in... Oh, yeah, it, it's delicious. And it can be uh, applied into making like a plant-based milk, for instance, or, or plant-based uh, or peanut uh, Bambara groundnut butter that looks like peanut butter. I mean, there are so many other things that you can do with it or just as a snack, like it's traditionally done in West Africa. So that 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 bean has been disappearing, and many people have never seen it. And we want to bring it back and 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 and, and support the farmers to grow it in rotation with fonio like they used to do traditionally. So that's how that's why our mill that we're building in Mali is not only about processing fonio in a more efficient way than it's ever been before. It's also about processing all the ancient crops. From, from West Africa to begin with, and then from other regions of Africa, we're going to continue to to look for underutilized crops that are great for the, for you and great for the planet, and add them to our our list of products and add value to them and introduce them to a global market. Well, you you have a <laughs> a very large goal there on changing the food system. Um, uh, listeners, it's PRTM. And, and his brand is Yolele, 
Y-O-L-E-L-E, and, and check out the uh, the website, which is, are you going to tell us the website again? Yolele.com, Y-O-L-E-L-E.com. And, and yes, it is a large goal. I totally uh, agree with you. And that's a, a dream that we need to have. We need to be bold. Yolele is bold, as you see. Now, one of our tagline is revolutionary African food. And why? Because Africa today has 60% of the world's arable land. Really? I'm 60. going to repeat. 60% of the world's arable land, which means that Africa is set to feed the planet. And we must, all of us, make sure that it is used in a way that's ethical, with integrity, with taking, respecting the soil. And, and we have to make sure that big food doesn't grab the land and use it the way it's been, it's been using the, the land here in the U.S. and the other parts of the world and depleting the soil and destroying the water. And that's just what we need to avoid with the 50% that's left in Africa. That 50% should be used in a way to bring those crops that are indigenous to the continent of Africa, those crops that are adapted to the environment. In doing so, we will not only save biodiversity, but we will make our, our table much more exciting by bringing a diversity of crops that we have not experienced in, 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 in many, many, many years. So, so it's a thousand of years, I must say. And that's important. That's important for us. It's important for our planet. And, and, and that's what we have. That's our challenge. And that's why Yolele has that ambition to be this brand that will be bringing crops from the continent of Africa to the rest of the world. Well, Pierre, too bad you're so shy and, um, and tentative. And <laughs> <laughs> and undirected. It's too bad. <laughs> oh, you know, you have strong beliefs. You have a good background. You have a fabulous product line. And I just expect great things to continue coming out of Folole. Yolole, Fonio, and Yolole. You roll it together, Yolole. Is that how do you Yolele. pronounce it? Yes, you said it right, Yolele. And that's a clear song that you. That's a song. A lot of people, uh, in, in a lot of musicians, have a song called Yolele in Africa. Like I say, it's a nomadic, so you go to Central. Oh, West, really? East, okay. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's it, it, it's musical, your lele. It is musical. Well, listen, keep us posted. Keep, don't forget about us because we're really interested in how you're getting along, and I I expect you're set up in such a way that you're going to have larger and larger ongoing successes. So continue Amen. along, my friend. <laughs> Thank, Thank you for you talking so to much. us, there. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Have a great Thank day you. and weekend. Bye. Bye-bye. End it. End it. Can you turn off the? Yeah, David Schmunk. Um, my first question, since you're in California, is how did you get involved with this company, and 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 the mission of this company, and the company is African Dream Foods. 
Yes. Um, hello. So um, I basically got into the food business by going to food shows and just getting inspiration there of all the different products and hot sauces. So I was traveling um, to China on other business, and I kind of just started going to these food shows that kind of coincided with my trip. And um, I went for a couple of years in a row, and then I wanted to uh, do something on my own. And so um, I had some ideas and basically went to South Africa and found, uh, went to various manufacturers there and found one that I liked and um, started working on this project. Well, I mean, this, your, your literature on it that came with the product samples um, is pretty direct and straightforward. It says, African Dream Foods is a purpose-driven food brand with a mission to provide delicious products from Africa to the world while giving back to wildlife conservation organizations. So that puts it in a nutshell, right? Uh, basically, yeah. I noticed, you know, when doing research about um, hot sauce and food in general, there's not really much coming to the U.S. from Africa. And so we wanted to make a brand that... Um, that brings food uh, in flavors of Africa to the U.S. and also supports a good mission that, um, it, you know, is worthwhile and, you know, just is, is more than just about making sauce and making a profit, but uh, which allows, you know, people just by eating the sauce uh, to kind of donate to, you know, wildlife conservation, which is a very important, I think, issue of our time, you know, along with climate change and things like that. David, David you're... Your voice is so delightfully soft, but what I'm worried about is that people aren't going to be hear you unless you speak up just a little bit. Okay, I'll try. I'll try to yell into the phone. Try, try to yell. That's it. <laughs> well, David, now I mean, before I actually got in contact with you, I kept coming across you in all kinds of food publications. You just—how old is the company? It's fairly new right yeah we launched um actually we launched on kickstarter so we did a crowdfunding campaign for uh starting our initial lineup and we initially shipped the product in june like may or june of uh, this 2021. year oh, 2021 no, 21 so yeah we've been around for about a year on the market well, I mean, I noticed you immediately through the Fancy Food Show because you've been making such a splash. Uh, everybody seems to have fallen in love with your company. Oh, thank you. I, I didn't know we made that big of a splash, but that's awesome that you found us in all the different publications. I mean, we're trying to basically reach as many people and have as many people try our product. You know, that's it's tough starting a new company. So it's like as many, the more people that try it, um, and hopefully they like it. They'll they'll keep buying. So uh, we're we're definitely trying to get the word out and uh, through you know even through uh, podcasts and, and talk shows like like this. So this is going to be very helpful for us. Well, now um, the um, yeah uh, you, you are you're not you're a young company, but um, it seems like a very savvy positioning. I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of experience in positioning brands. 
Um, well, this is my favorite, uh, my first food brand. So, um, you know, we were kind of planning it out for about a year and a half before we launched just to kind of how to hit the market because there's probably like 3,000 sauces out there right now on the yeah. market and a lot of them are good. Especially and, hot uh, sauces. We had, we've interviewed somebody who does global hot sauces. So they're from all over the world, but they're, they're okay. hot sauces, every one of the products. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of hot sauce brands out there, and, and that's probably because hot sauce is such a trending topic, you know. It's, it is. Um, yeah. People are, and the market is growing, the hot sauce market, and uh, people are just experimenting, and, you know, kind of like the craft beer scene came around, and, you know, a lot of people started getting to the craft beer, whereas before they were just drinking Budweiser, and the same thing now. Uh-huh. You know, people are familiar with hot sauce through, like, you know, Tabasco and Cholula and sriracha and and now they're kind of want to try different things and more like smaller batch and craft stuff so um i think you know coming from africa yeah where people haven't really tried anything from africa i think they're just naturally curious to um to to try these flavors right we have um who is it coming on for an interview is um another Oh, yeah. Is it Yolele? Isn't that African? That they have that. Uh, Yolele. Yolele. We have Mm. an interview coming up. They have this ancient grain from Africa. Oh, cool. No, I haven't heard of them. Phonio, yeah. Yeah. Um, But anyhow, um, I'm trying to. Have you tried the product yourself? Um, yes, yes, and I think that they're very sophisticated. I'm surprised it's your first venture into the uh, food world. Oh, yeah. Which ones have you tried and what did you like? Well, I, I like the, um, the the seasoning. What is that one? Safari Smoke? Yeah, that one. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay, and I heard clicking. I didn't know. But I like the peri-peri. That's sort of generically African, anyhow, and Portuguese. Yeah. I mean, from Portuguese. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that they're, um, they're, they're spicy, but they're not blow your, the top of your head off spicy. Yeah. Uh, which that is, was the, that was the goal. And that's why we have eight different flavors. So we try to hit various flavor profiles. From like a very mild, like fermented barbecue sauce called our yes. Southern Bry, to uh, on the other side of the range to the ghost pepper sauce. Yeah, that, that one's uh, spicy, but yeah, I don't that know one's why. Definitely spicy. Yeah, well, I mean, ghost pepper in itself, you can, I mean, <laughs> it'd be hard to tame it. Yeah, and even with the ghost pepper, like we're not we're not trying to like make something so spicy that it just kind of like shocks you and, and kind of kills your taste buds and kills you know, yeah, the see, food that's what that happens. you're with. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. When we had somebody send us a, a bottle of hot sauce that had a skull and crossbones on the front of it. And yeah, um, so. our son was a teenager at the time. And um, it, he liked to be brave and macho with the hot stuff. So he picked up the bottle and took a swig out of it. You could hear him screaming from three blocks away. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and that's kind of the theme, I think, of a lot of hot sauce companies. They want to do, they want to be the hottest, you know, like burn your face off, you know, major regret, all these like names that um, are, and, and there's a lot of people out there that are buying hot sauce for like kind of the challenge, like, oh, I can eat this. Yeah, I know, yeah. But with but, us, like, we want to hit you with the flavor. We want to compliment right. your food. And so um, we're not trying to hurt you, basically. Uh, but, I mean, what we do try to, like, you know, most of the market is still eating mild sauces. And there's a, probably 10% or so that like the really hot stuff. So we want to give everybody something that they can actually eat on our on, in our range. Yeah. Now, I did a, a hot chili tasting once. Uh, and we were, we were all food people, and uh, we, we were supposed to describe the flavor. You couldn't mention heat in any of them, and, and there, mm-hmm. there were some really hot ones too. But um, mm-hmm. they fixed them without the seeds or membranes, so that you know hot really wasn't. You ended up with the idea that these chilies actually had specific flavors that went beyond the heat. Yes, but, but look at look at this hash the... chili market. Hash chilies, uh-huh. there's a, I think people can't get enough of them, and it, we got samples of those, and they came in as standard hot and very hot. But they can't tell from one harvest to the next what they're going to be anyhow. Sometimes uh, it does vary from uh, year to year on like yeah. how spicy a chili is, and I think it depends on kind of how hot it is, actually, like the, the, the temperature uh, and the weather outside in that, in that year, what kind of when, when they were planted. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of it just deals with um, maybe like cross-pollination also. You know, a lot of these chilies are grown in a field, and so sometimes you right. cross-pollinate like ghost pepper with like something that's like grown you know on another plot just not too far away like a, a milder one and you'll get like a spicier like jalapeno or something because mm-hmm. it'll sort of um, cross-pollinate a bit so you yeah. tried the lemon garlic right the lemon garlic peri-peri not that even I haven't tried that one yet that one won the Sophie award for best new hot sauce oh no that's the uh, I did the peri-peri sauce that's yeah. the one that's the peri-peri sauce. Yes, I did. And that's the one I was just going to ask you what was – you did win a big Sophie, which is a big award. Uh, tell us about your award. Well, um, <laughs> I think it's uh, it's great that, you know, people are recognizing we want to bring kind of a higher profile to peri-peri in general because, you know, just doing these sauce shows and stuff, not a lot of people are familiar with peri-peri and they're, and they're kind of curious about it. So um, – I think it definitely is a big thing to for the Perry Perry to win the you know best new hot sauce of 2022, and Sophie is a very kind of prestigious award in our industry. So it's definitely going to help lift the profile of our brand and of uh, Perry Perry in general. And, yeah, well, uh, we we, we know a um, a Portuguese chef, so we were pretty familiar with Perry Perry. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's different styles of Perry Perry. I think ours yeah. are. Um, you know, and peri-peri literally is just a flavor profile that includes garlic, yeah. lemon, and an oil base. And traditionally yeah. made with the bird's eye chili, 
which is yeah. a tiny little chili that grows in southern Africa, you know, and it, like you said, it started it's with the Portuguese bringing it to like Mozambique, but it's yeah. it's all grown kind of naturally in the wild in South Africa and Mozambique, Malawi, that whole area over there. You know, I, I read conflicting reports. Now, are your products specifically limited to South Africa? Yeah, well, they're all made in South Africa um, right now. They're all made in South Africa. We bring them into the U.S. and we distribute them from here. But okay, eventually, but... The, the goal is to kind of be, go outside of sauces, and uh, our mission is to bring foods, various flavors from Africa. So we're starting with sauces. We want to um, make sure that the sauce category is successful, but we're looking at other food brands from different parts of Africa as well. Well, look up this this other um, company, Yolele. It's Y-O-L-E-L-E. Okay. Yolele. So... And they've discovered this ancient grain, so maybe it's something you could do a collaboration on. Yeah, we're definitely looking into various collaborations. That, that well, you're going to have to if you're going to grow your products, right? I mean, you, you, how many products do you have currently? So we have eight sauces and four seasonings, well, one of them being the seasoning that has no spice and then three spicy salts. And then okay. we have, you know, a mixture of various variety packs, gift boxes that are kind of set. So number of SKUs is like probably around 50. Oh, but that's good. You've really made a lot of progress, haven't you? There's only essentially 12 flavors, which is still kind of a pretty big line for a new brand to launch, you know, eight sauces at the same time. Um, so right. we're, uh, we're still doing that. We're probably going to create a one or two more sauces that we're kind of working on. But for now, we're going to stick with this eight because it's it's already a really big range. Now, um, I wanted to ask you, uh, how does this this, um, contribution to wildlife conservation work? Well, so if you look at our labels, we have... um, Yeah, I mean, I was going to mention the packaging because, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's... that, again, is very savvy because you look at these gorgeous animals and you want to get on the bandwagon right away. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the goal. And I mean, there's no other hot sauce that features, like, wildlife photography. So we partnered with several wildlife photographers uh, to feature their photos, and their Instagram is tagged there on the bottom uh, on the front of the label. So... Um, you know, and these are photographers that, you know, also their mission is to kind of uh, bring awareness to uh, wildlife and what's going on. But we specifically give to two organizations right now. One of them is Pause Trails, and one of them is called Wild Shots Outreach. And both these organizations are kind of focused on photography, wildlife photography. So Wild Shots uh, basically teaches photography to underprivileged communities that have never really never really been to like Kruger National Park or the national parks but Uh they kind of live very close by because it's you know it's expensive to go 
uh, as well to these parks. And so it basically teaches uh, children and, and adults also photography, and then they take them to the national parks and they photograph animals. And a lot of these uh, photographs have been featured like nationally and won some awards. So, and it kind of teaches the community appreciation for wildlife. And then they bring that back to the community and they talk about it. And, um, you know, part of the problem is that, you know, it's kind of, you're, they're competing with like habitat. They're, they're, um, some of them are kind of killing animals, just like they call it poaching, but they're, they're just, you know they're just hungry. Some of them. Um, so there's there's a right. lot of issues why wildlife is uh, becoming more and more uh, endangered. Some of them, and, and and some of them is because of farming. Some of them is just like you know the communities don't really appreciate or um, or really understand. You know the you know how how dire some of these situations are. You know with with the rhinos almost becoming extinct. Giraffe population has declined. Yeah by 70% in the last, you know, 30 years. So um, I think we, the we have a cousin with a know. cousin who has spent her entire career um, saving the rhino. Mm-hmm. She ran the New York. She's based in South Africa, but she's, um, I forget what city she's in, but uh, she ran the New York Marathon in the dead heat of summer in a rhino costume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's basically we Cape have Town. ten cents uh, of every bottle sold uh, go to these organizations, and okay. we've interviewed various organizations and various missions from anti poaching to kind of like save the rhinos, you know, and and we just wanted to make the biggest impact that we can with the you know the the funds that we have, and as our you know sales grow. And as our um, contribution grows, we're definitely going to be looking for other organizations as well uh, that make the most impact. And, you know, the whole wildlife conservation effort is is very tricky. You know, after kind of talking to various uh, organizations and how how they give, like what they do, you got to really be careful that, you know, you're kind of helping and not not hurting because there's... Yeah, it's it's pretty tricky when you talk about this. It's it a big is. business. I mean, it's, it's kind of an, it's a very messy business too because there's like the whole hunting trophy hunting thing that oh, you know, supports that African too. economy. And so yeah, no, I hate that. You know, it's there. Yeah, there's there's these safari parks that people come and they basically kill animals for for a trophy because you know it's on their bucket list. But you know, it supports Afri- like, African like, economy. It's like a big uh, part of their economy, and they don't want to lose that. Our, but former, at the same time, our former president's son does that. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. Uh, so uh, part of it is like they don't want to lose that, but part of it is like they either they're trying to do it at least in a way that uh, is kind of uh, you know it doesn't actually harm the populations and stuff. So well, if you there's, if you want to be sure to, if you want to be yeah. sure you, you get good attention and talk to our cousin Joe Shaw. At um, saving the rhino, <laughs> and I think it's Cape Town. <laughs> Connect us, yeah, for sure. We'll have a conversation. Yeah. So okay, so these are wonderful products, um, and it's a good cause. And your your marketing is pretty sophisticated, and so are your recipes. Um, how do, we've already enticed our listeners. How do they get these? Well, they're available on 
online on our website, africandreamfoods.com, on Amazon. And uh, later this year, we're going to be in a couple grocery store chains. We don't want to announce it yet, but um, in the third quarter in the fall, we'll be in uh, a lot of the chains in, uh, in California. Yeah. And uh, well, a lot of the stores in, in one chain, and then there's some other chains that hopefully we'll be bringing it on also toward the end of the year. So they'll be, we want to be available in stores, uh, but online is is kind of how we started, you know, especially okay, during the pandemic. Okay, but you can still but, order online. Yeah, of course. Okay, great. So, and you, you already mentioned the website. It's um, African Dream Foods, plural dot com. And David, it's been a pleasure discovering you. I mean, you were sort of a mystery company to me until we connected, uh, because I kept reading about you. (laughs) So welcome to the food metaverse or whatever, (laughs) universe. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for talking to us. Thank you. All right, thanks. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Um, We're going to stay uh, with a global focus that we're going to move to Southeast Asia, talking to Eleanor Ford, her book, The Nutmeg Trail, is about the most absolutely authoritative, beautifully researched books that you've ever encountered on, on the spices of the spice, the ancient spice trail, and there are recipes. Listen to Eleanor. You know, I have a, a, a right off the top question for you, Eleanor Ford, uh, author of The Nutmeg Trail, Recipes and Stories Along the Ancient Spice Roots. How did you get Otolongi to do your intro <laughs> or your whatever, <laughs> the preface or oh, the introduction? He, he never will so talk generous. to us for some reason. He what? <laughs> he, was so, he was so generous with his words and very kind to look through my book and um out a few recipes he wanted to cook. I'm uh, oh. very grateful to have the support of a fellow Londoner. Uh huh. Yeah, well, he, he doesn't like journalists very much. He doesn't like journalists, so we've had a hard time with him. <laughs> so I was surprised he, that he liked a cookbook author. <laughs> no, he doesn't like Boris Johnson either. <laughs> okay. I started out by saying, I mean, the thing that comes through very clearly is that you are a trained historian. What all else? You do so many things. Give us the rundown. Well, I wanted to write a book about spice and took me in so many directions. On the one hand, there's the amazing history to delve into. Then there's the geography of spice and all the different countries that the spices come from, which really spans the globe. And then you get into the flavor profiles, a little bit into the science and the botany. And then, of course, very importantly, into the recipes and how you can use spice to full effect. So I had a myriad of things to explore and a lot of fun doing it for this book. Now, you've lived all over the place, haven't you? Well, I've lived a little in Asia. I live in London now, but I have lived in both Hong Kong and in Indonesia. And I've traveled 
lot. Um, and always through my travels, I was picking up flavors rather like souvenirs, sort of thinking about how the same spices or the same flavors might be used together in combinations that make something very different and unique. And that really appeals to me. Well, this is your second book. I mean, your first one was lauded mightily. And, um, but it, it seems to me that it, it must have been a really lengthy research project to get this all put together. Well, it did become a very historical delve, actually. I, in the past, have written more about about geography, about a sense of food and place and travel. And this time, I, yes, I did become more of a kind of academic project as I looked into the archives of history and of and of, uh, of so many different cuisines as well. It was pulling together a lot and putting um, it into one story. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you managed to work it all in here, though. Um, there were some limitations. You didn't. You don't do the whole spice route, do you? Well, I do what was the ancient maritime spice route. So that is the one that takes us and weaves across Asia and through the Middle East and into Europe, a sort of web of trade moving in all directions and um, uh, come back and forth and up and down. It's not just uh, west as is often depicted. But I didn't bring in the Americas as well. There was such a great story to tell um, already. It's another book. <laughs> um, it's another book, really, although there were some very important influences from the Americas, not least Chile arriving from the New World to the Old World and conquering as a spice. Um, so that had to become an important part of the story. But your hero spice is um, um, nutmeg. Um, and there is a book called Hero Spices. Did you know that? I didn't. No, I haven't come yeah, across it. Yeah, there's one called Hero Spices, and the the number one hero spice is turmeric. Ah, oh, how interesting. Yeah. Well, my hero spice had heroes. to be nutmeg. Nutmeg had to be my, my hero because it's got the most amazing stories attached to it. Mm. Not least because once nutmeg was deemed so important that a trade was made for two islands across the globe from each other. On the tiny island in Indonesia where nutmeg came from, the Isle of Run, and the other island, Manhattan, what was named after the trade of New York. No kidding. <laughs> Interesting. It's it sort of shows the power that spice once had, how these ingredients once had such hold, such importance, they were seen as so otherworldly that such a trade um, was appropriate. Yeah, well, I can understand nutmeg. It was, I think it was the only spice my mother ever used to cook. <laughs> well, it's a spice. She's English, Yorkshire. <laughs> she didn't get garlic, never touched her lips. <laughs> I think it went into rice pudding, but I'm not sure. I think that nutmeg's so universally loved. Because it's at once a little bit gentle, but there's also such complexity. There are those top notes of so many different flavors that it blends really well in both sweet and in savory and in so many spice mixes from around the world. Well, what you weave together here is, um, which I think is 
valid concept, I mean, there's no question about it, is that the spices spread, uh, but so did the cultures. And they spread through this trade. Right? Yes, so spices were one of the earliest goods that humankind started moving around the world. And so with them, um, on the boats, taking the spices from land to land, went people and their ideas. So you started getting a fusion of cultures as ideas, as music, religion, language, traveled with these people. And when they stopped to rest in the ports, the trade winds changed. So these ideas were shared, they were traded, and zines were formed as well. I mean, you break things down, and it's highly educational, this book, listeners. I mean, um, she goes into the anatomy of a spice, so you finally get to to know your roots and rhizomes from your leaves and barks and flowers and (laughs) fruits and seeds and so forth. Um, Then she gives you a listing of what explanations, descriptions of each of these spices called a starter spice library. And then she talks about expanding your collection where she gets into more um, um, esoteric spices. Um, I never even thought of um, blue fenugreek. I don't think I've ever seen that. Um, And the one that I found really startling, which I, would really bug me not to be able to resolve this question, about the lost spices. Tell us about those. Absolutely. So I think there are um, spices that once were so popular the world over and have kind of fallen out of use, perhaps um, outside of the countries where they're grown. Perhaps they're coming back a little now, things like Inns of Paradise or oh, we, we have that. I mean, I was very pleased to see that. Uh, we we fell in love Sicilian. with that. I have to get more of it. Yeah, isn't it wonderful? And peppers. Wonderful. These are kind of spices that have got very different flavor profiles. Um, mm-hmm. The cubeb peppers, which have got that piquancy you expect for pepper, but other notes as well, kind of medicinal, interesting notes. So there are some that uh, we can seek out uh, today still. There's one that's vanished entirely. That spice is silphium, which was um, it was the resin of a north silphium, which was the resin of a North African plant, and it was very wow. it was a favourite of the ancient Greeks who loved it and used it perhaps more than any other spice. Did it so much that it uh, fell out of uh, it was It was harvested to extinction. We can't even know and imagine what this spice that so many love poems were written about because they adored it so much and, and we can't ever taste it. Something rather evocative about that idea of flavor lost to time. Interesting, interesting. See, there are there are all kinds of appealing side sideways and paths in, in, in this book and in your studies. Um, it could lead you in all kinds of directions rather than just straightforward, huh? Well, that's what I really felt with my my research and with choosing recipes as well. Where on earth to draw the boundaries? Because there's such that's a right, yeah wealth of things to choose from. Um, it was hard to, to limit myself. A really wonderful subject to research. 
Well, you know, I, I think that your many um, charts and graphs and uh, what, what would you call some of these, um, like your spice palettes, a journey of flavor, I mean, you graphically express all this stuff about all this information about spices too. I like this. Well, uh, those, you you hit on something that's actually like a leading trend in, in the world of spices right now is spice blends. But it's not really very new, is it? Countries have always had spice blends, but mm-hmm. it could be quite hard to get our head around them because often you might have names and a very similar blend. You might have the same name. Take something like Baharat from the Arabic-speaking countries. It literally means spices, so there is no one blend. Um, You move regionally within countries, move from country to country, and there you have slight tweaks and moves from savory to sweet. I wanted to try and break break things down and, and try and make things comparable. Look for links across spice blends look for what makes them different right what was the one that i just had ori explain to me rather that i use all the time oh i don't know remember the one and there's a, a plant with the same name and a spice blend of the same name except all oh, the spice zatar 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 uh, yes of course with that that particularly is a herb blend because you're bringing in um, you're bringing in dried herbs as well as um, the, the thyme as well as the spices. Right. So you you strictly you stay strictly to spices and, and not herbs. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I've tried I would... to. I've tried to, but of course, of course, there's crossover. But it tends to be the difference. I mean, both spices and herbs are the part of plants that are flavor but spices tend to be dried rather than fresh and tend to have gone on a journey even the word spices comes from the word species meaning an object of special value it's got that kind of journey inherent in it that it's come from from somewhere far away from somewhere distant that lends it this special value whereas herbs tend to be something that's more local locally grown yeah well we do kind of Every couple of months, we do a, um, a segment with a burlap and barrel, which is based in New York. But they get single-source spices from all over the world and befriend and, and work with the, uh, the growers and, and give them better prices and, and bigger percentages and stuff. You want to get on their newsletter because it's full of wonderful information. It's burlap oh, and be barrel. Be sure to oh. look it up. Burlap and spelled out barrel dot com, and uh, they they have they feature all these growers and whatever. And it, uh, when I was reading your book, I was thinking um, it was a big event for them when they moved from spices to include minerals. <laughs> I had never even thought of the difference <laughs> you know, when they had salt and salt, added salts to their repertoire. So that was a big decision. <laughs> so you'd, you'd enjoy these, these people, but anyhow. Right. Um, so how did you figure out about these recipes? Um, who developed the recipes? 
Well, these are recipes that I um, have chosen from across the Indian Ocean, the whole scope of this ancient spice route. And I wanted to look for recipes that um, had an interesting use of spice, showed how the spices can be used in different ways, can be layered together to give very different effects. But I also wanted to choose recipes that are easy to use in the home kitchen. I'm a home cook and I wanted things that are simple to do and using spices that or on the whole are spices that we would have in our pantry rather than ones that are hard to source but that can um, really give you big flavor and, and you're on a journey. Uh-huh. Kitchen. It, it must be painful to you to see what's happening in Hong Kong today, right? It is. I, I speak to friends and colleagues in, in Hong Kong regularly. It's, it's an interesting time for the country. Well, it's a very sad time, I see, but, but um, I, I guess that popped into my head because I just saw the, opened this, to this page with Typhoon Shelter Corn. <laughs> How did you get that name? <laughs> well, um, the typhoon shelter, it was originally a crab dish um, made in the typhoon shelters in Hong Kong. And it's a wonderful showcase of, of garlic and ginger and crunchy breadcrumbs. Um, and in Hong Kong more recently, I had this wonderful um, vegetarian uh, made with sweet corn. And it is such a and savory, sweet, crunchy, umami dish that um, it had to be the first one that I put in the book. It's very appealing, yeah. Um, Some of these photographs are rather extraordinary, and it's interesting to me, um, because of my background, that the photographs and the illustrations are so good, they even stand out on patterned and colored backgrounds. I mean, I think that's probably a peculiar thing to bring up, but it, it struck me as rather interesting. How did you decide on the, on that part of the design? Well, we had wonderful time doing the design of this book. We knew we wanted something really colorful and vibrant and that, you know, had the same kind of impact as these flavors. We wanted something that's strong and bright and that captures you. And um, I worked with the most wonderful team in London. Ola Smith was the photographer, Wei Tang, the prop stylist, and she brought the most fabulous fabrics that we pulled out to use in the shoots. And we wanted to bring in lots of texture and lots of light. We used um, botanicals. We wanted to get that sense of shadows so uh, <laughs> behind the scenes there was lots of us holding you know branches over the camera to try and capture that dappling light uh, just to sort of bring a full impact of the eclecticism of it all you know um, the, there were some of the you've personal taste preferences that I share and one of them is your love of pistachios <laughs> <laughs> I just did a new pistachio <laughs> dishes. I had. Do you know what ramps are? It's kind of yes, like a cross. Okay, go ahead. I think so. I think it's, it's what we might call wild garlic in the UK. I think is that right? It's well, kind of. It's part. That's close. That's close enough. It's close enough. Yeah, it's kind of a garlic and onion, wild grown thing, very short season. So I had some of that. And, of course, it's asparagus season, 
here, and um, I I did I put into a, a chopper a, a small processor the ramps, olive oil, uh, preserved lemon, and um, pistachio nuts and olive oil. And I, I I cut that up and and I I I wrapped the asparagus with that mixture and put it in a single layer and put it in a hot oven for 20 minutes and it was scrumptious. I can imagine that sounds wonderful. Isn't that um, wonderful? I like it too. <laughs> we have it left over. Have to eat as it, much as normal. <laughs> now, like, what are some of your other things you do with the book. I mean, I like the section, the um, the detail where you write, eat with, because a lot of times, you know, people maybe are not sure. Tell us about eat with. I wanted to try and give a guide, a suggestion of things that complement um, the dishes, not necessarily other dishes within a book, um, that sometimes books are very ambitious and want us to cook a whole spread from them. Uh, but I wanted to do something a little bit more gentle, a lead into things that might be good accompaniments, quick vegetable dishes or um, some kind of starch that might go with something. Just a, a few leading ideas. And sometimes I've got a little carried away and included mini recipes for those as well. <laughs> I was pleased to encounter your okra recipe. Okra is so overlooked. Well, it's so love it or hate it, isn't it? And I, I, I must say, I'm a fan, but I didn't used to be. It was only once I discovered how to cook it without that sliminess. That's it. That's exactly work. it. <laughs> me too, me too. And, and I think once you can get that crispness, and here in this book I've paired it with um, powder, that spice blend from uh, India, which is normally eaten with poddy and is so crunchy and vibrant it's full of chili it's it's got grand lentils in it so it's a texture and a taste explosion so it's um it's a lot to the okra i love it it's kind of amazing that there's so many spices in nature don't you think well when we as you said earlier when you get into the rhizomes the roots the seeds the barks there's such a lot to choose from and there are the spices that we use commonly and that have taken over there must be so many others out there the lesser known spices that haven't got their place on the culinary map but are there and are just as wonderful a recent yeah, but discovery would you be mind, afraid I, if you didn't know what something was wouldn't you be afraid to ingest it there are some that people do know what they are but just know locally to them like the cassia buds in china that used quite a lot locally in pickles and things but haven't really had a global spread beyond it's a spice that'll come to you also use pumpkin what was it that we had in italy that um was made with pumpkin was it a risotto we call it peachy the what peachy yeah and that it you know you you associate that with sweet dishes and this in this case was not um so you have to yeah, you have to get out of your usual expectation to to fully utilize some of these spices and i think some of your recipes do that uh, and i also um i i 
really got a kick out of your spice miscellany section. Tell us about that. Well, I put in uh, at the back of the book some quirkier facts I found out about spices as I was collecting um, and going through. There was, there was, it was such a wealth of research that I, that I had to pull out some, some interesting things, such as that um, egg is illegal in Saudi Arabia, or that Alexander the Great used saffron as shampoo. <laughs> it was just oh. a sort of fun and quirky addition. Well, um, I, I think that this is certainly uh, going to be a kitchen, a cookbook essential here for people who, who want to get a little bit more excitement out of their foods. Um, it, it, there are things we haven't even hit on yet, like your timeline and and so forth. Uh, 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 what what was your timeline registers? What was discovered or um, used or uh, how would you define that your timeline maps out the story of spice really going through the centuries looking at the key moments the key discoveries how food um, in spice around the world at different points well I don't know what you didn't include, but I'm sure there are more books <laughs> coming. Uh, listeners, um, you're, you're going to want to just sit down and read through this book. I mean, it's it's page-turner, even if it's, it's a, a cookbook and, and a food book. It's a real page-turner um, called The Nutmeg Trail by Eleanor Ford. And Eleanor, I wish you much, much success with this, your second book. And... Um, uh, keep it up. You've lots of more thank you so fruits much. to take. <laughs> well, thank, thank you for your very kind words and for having me. It's been a pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you. It does it for today again. Um, and uh, I think you've learned a lot. And join us again next week. And until then, bye-bye. <laughs>